Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. We'll also have a couple, hit a couple of other verses in Philippians. We'll have them up on the screen for you. So if you want to find in your Bible, um, we're welcome to. We also have it up on the screen if you want to follow along there. So Philippians 4, 10 through 13 reads like this. This is Paul speaking to the church of Philippi. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Amen. I want to start by asking the question, did it fix it? All right. We chase a lot of things in our lives, right, in the search of satisfaction and fulfillment, right? We, we, we think that we need to be satisfied. We think that we need certain things to be fulfilled, and we chase after that. Society even tells us that if we have more wealth, if we have more possessions, then we can finally be satisfied. Our families will be better. They'll be happier. They'll have better lives if we just had more. If we just had and more. But there's a study in the United Kingdoms done a couple years ago that looked at children who had been raised in households that brought in annual revenue of about $100,000, a little bit more than $100,000. And what they found was, was, was int- very interesting. They found that in those children, there was a, a great increase in, in those teenagers that were dealing with issues like self-harm, uh, eating disorders, uh, neurosis, uh, all these different kind of things, mental health ideas, anxiety. These things were at a greater rate in families that had children that were making over $100,000 than in the brackets that were lower than that. And there's a lot of things that go into that, right? I mean, it's not just going to be one thing. But one conclusion that we can make from that is that having more doesn't always make things better. It didn't in the case of these children's financial or well-being, uh, physical well-being. It didn't in the case of their mental health. It didn't in the case of, of their relationships with their families and things. Those things didn't get better just because those families had more. Just because those families were better off, just because those families could provide certain things that other families couldn't, didn't make things better. It didn't fix the problem that their kids were having, the struggles that they were having. And Paul's own life speaks to this idea, right? Paul came from what we would consider an upper-class lie or background. He was born as a Roman citizen because his father was Roman, which brought its own privileges and rights and things that other people didn't, that were in cultures, that were raised in cultures that were uh, subsided and, and overruled by the, by the Romans. He had those rights and privileges that other people didn't. He had influence in the temple because of his zealous persecution of the Christian. He had certain benefits in that area. He had a, some of the best education that was to be had in Jerusalem. You look at the way he wrote the, his the books of the Bible that he wrote, the letters they wrote to the churches, they're eloquent, they're high literature for that time and period. An average person couldn't have wrote at that level at that point. He wrote in a, in a great way. We know he was highly educated. We also know he had some modicum of wealth. It says that he was a tent maker. If you do the studies and stuff like that, he was a tradesman at some point. He had wealth. He had all the things that we would think, man, that's, that's pretty good. He should be satisfied. His life probably is fulfilled. He should be content if anybody is happy with their life. He should be, be happy. But he says something in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. All these things that you would think would satisfy Paul, all these things that you would think would fulfill him, give him the happiness and the joy that we are always searching for, he had the more. He had the more. And he says it was all rubbish. It was all rubbish when compared to knowing, knowing God. And we can, we can look at our lives. And we can look and understand. And I hope we understand. Some of us have, have lived longer than others. And some of us have gained wealth and lost wealth. Some of us have had, a, had high points in our life. We've hit peaks and things have went well. And, and we can all attest to the fact that it didn't make everything better. It didn't fix everything. Having more. A lot of times it makes it worse. A lot of times it brings its own problems, its own issues, its own, its own constraints in life. It didn't make it better. It didn't fix it. And that's what Paul says. He says, I had all this stuff. Another part of Scripture, he said, I was the, the greatest Jew out of all you Jews. He said, I, I, I knew the Word. I know the Torah. Verse by verse, I had all this influence and all this power. I had this education. I had this raising. I was it. I had the more. But it didn't fix it. It didn't make it better. It didn't make the core issues that I have better. It didn't fix the overarching things that were wrong with my life or the problems in my life. It didn't fix it, but I still chased after it. And I still wanted more. And I still sought more. That's why he chased after them and persecuted the Christians. He wanted to continue to elevate himself within the temple. He wanted to continue to elevate himself within that societal structure so that he could be, have a greater name, a greater title, that his children would have a, a better name and a better title. He did these things to chase the more. But in the end, he says it was all just, just rubbish. For a minute, just, just take a turn with me. I want to talk about, about the idea of, of possession, okay? And, and we'll, we'll connect back here in just a second to what we were talking about. But I want to ask you, who controls your life? Or what controls your life? You know, a lot of us will probably say, well, I do. I'm the one who tells myself what to do. I'm the one that tells myself to get up, where to go, what I want to do. I control my own life. Some of us may give the Christianly answer and say, well, Christ controls my life. He does. He tells me what to do. And the Holy Spirit moves and works within me, and I do those things. But if we're honest and we're truthful, that's not the correct, that's not the answer that is accurate for most of our lives. Most of our lives, the more drives us and controls us and kind of dictates what we do, how we act, what we say, where we go. Another way to say this is, do you possess your things like wealth and possessions or do they possess you? If we get to the point where we think that we need more to be satisfied, where we believe that more will give us fulfillment and satisfaction that we can't have in any other way, then that is when the more begins to control us. Because when you believe that you need more, guess what? It's going to determine what you do. If you think you need more wealth, you're going to work longer hours, even at the, at the sacrifice of your family. You're going to go and you're going to do more. You're going to take jobs that you don't like, that are hard on you, that's not good on your body, that's not good on your mental well-being, that's not what you want to do because you're just like, seeking that more. And you sacrifice the, the, your family. You sacrifice the contentment of having a relationship with your children because you're going after, after more. You want more comfort, so you sacrifice the things that are, are better for you, that are right for you, because they're a little bit more difficult. So you sacrifice those things for more 
more comforts. You you want more more uh, possessions, so you go and you take out a loan that you don't you can't afford because you want that more possession, or you empty out your bank account or all your savings because you saw that thing and you want that more. And you know it's not good for your future. You know it's not good for next month because you don't know where you're going to come up with that. You don't know how you're going to take care of something if it falls apart because this is what you were saving for. But you want that more, so you sacrifice the future wealth for the now. More will control you. The desire for more will make your decisions for you. And you may think, well, I'm controlling myself. But no, you aren't. The desire for more is what's controlling you. The desire for more is what's driving you, what's pushing you, what's influencing you, what's making you do one thing or the other, what's either it's dragging you down, making you do bad choices. It's that desire for more. And as long as you believe you need more, you will never be content. As long as you think that more will satisfy you, if you have a little more, it'll give you, it'll, it'll make you happy. If you have a little more, it'll make you satisfied. If you have a little more, things will be okay. You'll never be content with where you are in life. If Paul here was sitting in prison, where we're, most of the writings that he wrote were written in prison, he thought, sat there and thinking, man, if they would just give me a little more food when they bring my food, I'd be happy. If I had a little bit more hay in my in my bed, I'd be happy. If I had a, another blanket, then I would be satisfied and fulfilled. He would never be content. Because guess what? They'd bring the extra blanket and he would still be cold. And he'd want another blanket. They'd bring a little bit of food the next time and he'd want more the next time because he would still be hungry. And then more and more always wants more and more. More is, is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. Um... If you've been around a teenage boy, you know how destructive the desire for more could be, right? They get into the snack cabinet, and they eat a whole box of Rice Krispies, and they still want more. I'm talking from my personal experience as myself, right? Okay. But you can probably relate. They want more. It's just a bottomless pit. They're just always consuming, consuming, consuming. There's a tapeworm inside them somewhere that doesn't leave till in their 20s. And they just keep eating. They just keep going and going and going. And that's what it's like. The desire for more wealth, more possessions, more whatever it is, that discontent. It's what it is in our life. We will always want more. And it will control you. And that desire for more isn't just for wealth and possessions in all areas of life. More, more power, more influence, more, more you know, women, uh, more things that we're addicted to, more properties, whatever it is. Uh, more will always want more. More is never satisfied. More is never fulfilled. And even though they'll tell you and the more and, the, and a whisper in your ear, the enemy whisper in your ear, if you just had this, if you just had this, one more thing, one more thing, and you'll be happy. One more thing and you'll be fulfilled. And it never truly brings fulfillment or satisfaction. And oftentimes we don't have control over our possessions. They end up having control over us. And this all isn't to say that we shouldn't enjoy the things that we have. And we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't just go and give away everything. We should be thankful for what we have. But we should be content with what we have. And not always be seeking, seeking more. So discontent is dangerous. Discontent will lead you to making decisions that you don't need to make. It will lead you to making decisions where you get rid of something that God has blessed you with because you think you can find something better. You get rid of the wife that God has blessed you with because, well, I want more. I want more of this relationship. I want more women in my life. I want more men in my life. I want more of this. You'll get the house that God gave you. You'll sell it because you want a bigger house. 
And you think you should have a bigger house. And then you get that bigger house and that more wants more. And you build onto it and you build onto it and you build onto it. And you're never done with it. More is destructive. But we can be content. But how, how can we be content? We can be content because... How do you live a contented life? Like I said, culturally being content, contentment isn't in. It's not fashionable. It's not something that people go around and say, I'm a content person. I'm happy with what I have. And I have what I want. And I want what I have. People don't go around talking that way. It's It's not fabulous to be content. It's fabulous to have more, right? That's what society tells us. This number, $48 billion. In the year 2020, between the months of October, November, and December, that's the amount of money that was spent in the United States on advertising, for, re- for retail advertising, and online ads and commercials on TV. $48 billion. That's a lot of people telling you you shouldn't be content with what you have. That's a lot of people screaming at you from every angle. You need this piece of jewelry. You need this new car. Your husband, if he, if he loved you, he would pull up with a big, big, with a big new car with a big bow on it if he loved you. Your wife, if she, if she loved you, she would bring up this new Toyota truck and it would be all nice and fancy and she'd give this to you. If they liked you enough, then they'll bring this. And guess what? We bought. We bought on it every single time. And we take out a new mortgage and we take out a new loan and we sell that thing that grandmammy gave us that we it's been through us generation after generation because we think we need more. Because somebody else told us we need more because they spent $48 billion telling us that we need more. And it's hard to be content when people are screaming at you, you need more. But you don't need more. More next Christmas, guess what? You're 20, what is it? I guess 2023 will then be a year old then. And they'll be, give, they'll be trying to sell you a 2024 model. That nice ring that you got this year, it'll have a little tarnish on it. And there'll be something shinier next year. The new phone, Apple will have four different new phones out by next Christmas probably. Maybe five. I don't know. Right? It's always something new, always something more that we're never content with. And they will sell you on it and they do their best. People, this is their, their livelihood. This is what they're going to do. They're going to try to sell it. But we as Christians can know that we can be content with what we have because we know that God will supply our every need. That's what Paul tells the church in Philippians 4, 19-20. He says, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I know it's been been pointed out before, it's been highlighted, it's been, you know, been the, the topic of discussion. But but that scripture it does say need. It does say need. And what they're trying to spend forty eight million billion dollars telling you that you need isn't necessarily what you need. Needs are different than wants, if you didn't know that. There are two very distinct, unique categories, needs and wants. I can live without a new truck. I can't live without oxygen. I don't think there's any way to do that. I'm pretty sure. I can live without, you know, some kind of fancy new house, but I, I, I can't live without water. And some kind of sustenance, I think, every 72 hours or two weeks or something like that, you have to eat something. I'm not sure. I'm not a scientist. But, but you have to eat. You have to have a little water. I can go a little bit longer without the food than most of you, but I still would need food eventually. There are needs. There are wants. 
what they're spending $48 billion is what you want. What Jesus gives is what you need. Amen. There's one, there's one, I want to tell two stories. One's from Scripture and one's from a personal experience with a friend. Um, the Bible tells us one place that Jesus went to Samaria. He told his disciples, he said, I must needs to go to Samaria. Needs. So they go to Samaria. And he sends his disciples in town to, to procure some food and stuff. And he says, I'm going to sit around here. I'm going to sit by this well. And uh, as they're gone, the Bible tells us that there was a, a woman that came to, to Jesus, came to the well. And uh, when, when she came up, he said, give me a drink. And uh, she said, buddy, you don't have nothing to draw with. How am I supposed to give you a drink? And he said, if you knew who I was, then you would be asking of me to give you drink. Because the drink that I can give you is a wellspring of living water flowing up from inside you that will you will drink it and you will be never thirst again. But this drink that you drink here, you drink it and you will thirst again. And that's the difference between needs and wants. The more you'll drink it, it'll satisfy you for a second, and then you'll want more. You might even go a whole year. You might even go a couple of years in that house and you're still breaking in. Then you want more. You'll go visit somebody else's house and, oh, they have this nice new thing. I'd like that more. So you put your house on the market. Oh, you drive around with somebody and they take you in the car and let me show you my new car. No, they have all these new gadgets. Oh, look, I don't even have a shifting gear. I have a little spinning wheel now. That thing drives me crazy. I'm still over here trying to do this, right? <laughs> but it's about the new things. Bigger screens. More K's, whatever those are, you know, different letters on the TV, O L E D A B C D R, whatever, you know, fancier, new, more, and you want it, and you want it, and that's what she was. She kept on coming back to that well, probably every day, to draw water. And he said, "Go get your husband, bring him." And she said, "I don't have a husband." And he said, "You speak well, because he says you have five, and the one you have is not your own." Once again, the desire for more, more, more. And he kept on going. And finally she realized. And she came to the point. And she said, I'm tired of wanting more. This is not what Bob says. This is a little bit, you know, kind of building the story out. I'm tired of wanting more. I need satisfaction in my life. Let me try what you've offered. And let me be satisfied. Bob says she goes back to town. She says, come see a man who's told me all that I've ever done. But that basically he gave me a drink of water. And I don't want no more. And I'm satisfied. And I'm content. And I'm fulfilled. And that's what we can have through through Christ Jesus. Amen. Now just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that automatically you're content. We should be. But we still fall for the same traps that the enemy lays out for us every day, every year around this season. And Black Friday is, is, is a couple of days away. And we, we scheduled a dinner around Black Friday shopping, right? I mean, it's, it's what we did. Because, well, there's all those deals. Well, guess what? If you do those deals now, they can probably done it a couple months ago, and you still would have got what you need. It's what goes on, right? We, we, we want this. We schedule these things around. We go and we get more and we get more. But I want you to understand that because we are, are Christians, because we've been saved, because we are imbued with His Holy Spirit, because He lives within us, because He has changed us, He is molding us and making us in His image, because we are His children, we can be content. We should be content. We talked about with this possession, with, with our possessions controlling us, this desire for more controlling us. It's time that we as Christians take back control of our lives and take it a step farther and give that control to Jesus. 
I don't have to have control over my life. But my possessions shouldn't have control over my life. My desire for more shouldn't have control over my life. Jesus is the only one that should have control over my life. And I know that he will provide my every need. And I'm thankful that no matter what I need, he provides it. He gives it freely without me asking, without me having to go and pay out a bunch. He provides. He gives me what I need. The other story, and we'll close with this. There's a, uh, a new man that um, married, had a couple kids, and uh, he really felt like his job was was harmful for his marriage, harmful for his relationship, harmful for his family, harmful for his relationship with God, right? He kept him in church, you know, kept him from his family, but it was a good-paying job, high-fluting high, high job kind of thing. But he, him and his family made the decision. They said, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to take a different job. It's going to pay me less, but it allows me, it's more pleasing. To, it's the job that God wants me to have. They knew it. They felt that. that God just they, they just knew from their experience this is the job that God wants them to have, but they knew it was going to take a, a big hit to their income. And they did it. took the job. They got by for a few months, and, and then things just started piling up a little bit, right? You know, you know how things happen. Something breaks that we didn't expect to break, and we have to dip into savings. You know, something goes raw. Some kid needs braces. Some kid breaks something. Crazy stuff happens. We can't plan for everything. And that's what kind of things that happened. They ended up in a situation that was, uh, and that lack, that, that, that step back that they had taken financially was beginning to affect them a little bit more. And uh, he went to his bedroom where he kind of goes and prays. And he gets on his knees and says, Lord, I, I'm, I'm trying to do what you want me to do, to be faithful to you, to be obedient to you, but you know my need. You know we're coming up short. You know, there's. It's in a place where, where, where we can't cover all the things that are there. And uh, he says he came out and, and that his wife met him and handed him an envelope and, and said, did you expect somebody to come by? And he said, no. And he opened up the envelope and, and there was a $100 Visa gift card. Now, the $100 didn't cover every, uh, the whole gap. But in the, in the time that he was praying to the time that he came out, somebody had come, knocked on the door, left an envelope, walked away, Gave him that $100 Visa gift card before he came out from praying. And for them, it didn't cover all their needs. And, and they still had stuff that they had. But it was a, an acknowledgement and a reassurance that whatever we need, we're trying to be obedient. We're trying to follow God. We're trying to be faithful to Him. He will provide what we need. What we have to come to terms with is sometimes what we want isn't what we need. And because it's not what we need, it might mean that we don't need it at all. And we have to be okay with that sometimes. We have to not be so possession-driven, desire-driven, more-driven, and be content with all the blessings that God pours out from His throne in heaven. It says He opens up the windows and pours blessings out on us at the time. We must be content with that. Come to terms with that and accept that. Because it was enough for, for other ones, the other generations, it can be enough for me. It can be enough for me. Whatever God gives, whatever He provides, whatever He gives from His His riches in heaven, I can be content with that. We should be content with that. I'm not saying don't go by Christmas for your family, get them something nice and everything like that, but be content with what you have. Be thankful for what you have. We'll go from Thanksgiving, and I don't know about you, but we do. We all sit around the, the table, and we go around, and we say what we're thankful for. And then once we're done, we sit down with the, with the Walmart magazine and the big paper, and we circle everything that we want. What kind of dichotomy is that? 
that in one breath we're thanking God and the next one we're circling and saying, I want this one. That's strange. That's strange. That's what we do, though. Maybe this year, stop at the things. And at least wait till Friday to circle the stuff on the things, right? Put it off a little bit. Realize, man, I've got this great thing. I've got this wonderful thing with my, my relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a family. And there might be problems in our family. There's problems in every family. You, you know, there's not going to be a perfect family. There's not going to be a perfect spouse. There's not going to be a perfect kid. You have what God has given you, and it's a blessing. Right? Cars are good, but they depreciate as soon as you drive them off the lot. Right? Houses are good, but you're going to have to be paying on that house with, with different things for years and years and years. Replacing stuff and fixing stuff. What we have right now, no matter how much or how little, is a blessing. And we should be content and thankful with that. Because it's by God that we have it in the first place. Amen. The very breath that we breathe, the soul that we have, the life that we live, is given by God. And we should be thankful for that. Amen. I'm thankful that God is, is good enough to, to provide abundantly more than I need. He gives me my needs, and He sprinkles little cherries on top, little sprinkles sometimes. You know, He gives more than I need. And He's good, and He's faithful, He's kind, He's just, He's loving, He's gracious, He is merciful. And that's a blessing. And there within, within his, his goodness and all that He is and all that He embodies, I can be content. We should be content. We should be thankful with that. Amen. And I pray that, that I instill that in my daughter, and I pray that we instill that in our, our young people, the 19, and and with our youth of this generation so that they will raise their kids to be content with what God has done. We can spread that. There's a lot of things that we pass on to kids. But let's pass on the contentment and the joy and the blessing of what God has given us and let them realize that it's a good gift that we've been given. It's a good gift that we've been given. Amen. So thankful. So thankful for His Word. So thankful.